draftsman. Bring me the draftsman, build me a path from cradle to grave, and I'll give my consent to any government that does not deny someone a living wage. Go find the young men, never to fight again. Bring up the banners from the days gone by. Sweet moderation, heart of this nation, desert us not, we are between the wars. This next one is another look at, at capitalism. Capitalism places constraints on some people and places entirely different constraints on other people. Um, and some of them don't fare so well. Um, the title of the song is Unibanker, which you can think of as like the Unibomber, but commits economic terrorism. Get found out now. 
Thank you. This next one is a working class ballad by the band called The Jam. It's called Smithers Jones. to teach you the chorus of the song that we're going to sing in just a moment. So um, this is, you've got some words in your order of service. I'm in a hurry to get things done. So we're going to teach you that, and then we'll um, come back to it in a few moments. But I invite you to rise and body your spirit to get that air moving through your lungs, and Vance is going to teach you that chorus.
Here it goes. I'm in a hurry to get things done. I'm in a hurry to get things done. Oh, I rush and rush until life's no fun. Rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die. But I'm in a hurry and don't know why. All I really got to do is live and die. But I'm in a hurry and don't know why. You'll have lots of time to practice that during the song. We're going to sing it a couple more times with some harmonies. So just to get our practice going, we'll do it about three times in a row. I'm in a hurry to get things done, oh I Rush and rush until life's no fun All I really gotta do is live and die But I'm in a hurry and don't know why I'm in a hurry to get things done, oh I Rush and rush until life's no fun all I really gotta do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Blessed are we who gather with open hearts together in this space today. Blessed are we, the chalice lighters of resistance, justice, love, and faith. Blessed are we, the heretics, the outcasts, the walkers of our own way. Blessed are we, the border crossers, the refugees, the immigrants, the poor, the wanderers who are not lost. Blessed are we, the trans women, the trans men, the non-binary, the cisgender, the multigender, the no-gender. Blessed are we, the friend, the stranger, the lonely, the hidden, the visible, the authentic. Blessed are we who rise in solidarity. Blessed are we who cannot. Blessed are we who do not. Blessed are we for this beloved community, and this is who we are. That's the words of Andrea Hawkins Camper. And we kindle this chalice, when I give matches to Catherine, <laughs> when we kindle this chalice, remembering the blessings, all those blessings that we share with Unitarian Universalists across the continent this morning. May our light shine brightly. Let's celebrate together. I'm in a hurry to get things done, oh I Rush and rush until life's no fun All I really gotta do is live and die But I'm in a hurry and don't know why Don't know why I have to drive so fast My car has nothing to prove It's not you, but it'll do Zero to 60 in 4.2 I'm in a hurry to get things done Oh, I rush and rush until life's no fun All I really gotta do is live and die Shaking hands with the clock, I can't stop. I'm on a roll and I'm ready to rock. I'm in a hurry to get things done. Oh, I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really gotta do is live and 
that says I'm running behind. I'd better pick up my pace. It's a race, and there ain't no room for someone in second place. I'm in a hurry to get things done. Oh, I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really gotta do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. I'm in a hurry to get things done, oh why? Rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really gotta do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. I'm in a hurry to get things done, oh why? Rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really gotta do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Thank you, spare parts. Please be seated. Good morning. I'm Catherine Probasco, your worship leader today, and I'm in a hurry to welcome everyone. Welcome to folks in our sanctuary, to folks in the social hall and in the family room. Uh, we're just glad to be able to be together this beautiful spring morning. So maybe take a second to look at all the other people shining in their seats around you. It's good to be together. This is a church for people of all ages where we understand that our beloved community coughs, wiggles, laughs, claps, and makes other noises along our spiritual journey. This season, there may be sneezing as well. We have a playground down front for our smallest congregants with a soft rug and cool toys and the best view in the house for any adults they see fit to bring with them. Uh, we've added a little blanket buffer for those that need a gentle boundary to stay safe. <laughs> for little ones who need a bit more to do, there's an activity table in the back and a family room across the way with toys and a live feed of the service. All are welcome here to learn and love and grow in spirit. We bring our whole selves into this moment, beloved for who we are. Come, let us worship together. Ready for a little meditation? Let's breathe. Breathe and Feel that oxygen moving through your body all the way down to your toes, which I'll bet you forgot about until just now. <laughs> Give them a little wiggle if you can. And breathe and trust in that oxygen moving all through your body 
Notice the feeling of your toes, your calves, legs, abdomen, your heart space. Take another breath. Direct some loving energy to your heart. Maybe your shoulders could come down a little bit. Maybe you could release some tension in your face. And with your next inhalation, I invite you to let the crown of your head rise a little closer to the stars, opening up some space between your ribs, letting you breathe even more freely. We'll spend a couple of minutes in silent meditation together, and this is the stillness kind of silence. You can't get true silence in a room full of humans with a road outside. So I invite you to get still in your mind, and any noises you hear, let them be like little meditation bells, keeping your attention right here on the present. And if you notice your mind wandering, just gently bring it back. We continue with our practice of stillness. Let's lift up some prayers in our community. It's so beautiful to hear the sounds of a multi-generational congregation and our children, all of our congregation's children, those who are here and those who are not here, those who are little and those who are middle-aged and older, they are always in our prayers. 
And I know you bring many names in your heart, so I invite you to call them to mind now, places and people that are in your thoughts. And speak them aloud as the chime rings so we can hold them with you. All of these, all of these we lift up to the great powers of healing, celebration, and renewal known by many names. And we continue to think of the families who are holding memorial services for their loved ones. The family of John Ellig, whose service was yesterday. The family of Jerry Williams, whom we will remember next Saturday. Steve Polland, whose memorial will be Thursday the 27th. And Todd Taylor, the former minister of this church, whose ashes will be added to our memorial wall after church on Sunday the 30th. All of those families are in our prayers. Let's join together in prayer now. God of the awakening creatures of spring, Awaken in us creativity and passion and hunger that we embrace this season in our lives. God of the spring wind that scatters seeds, help us to trust in the process that wherever we are, this is the place to grow. God of spring's cold nights, remind us to tend our places of spiritual shelter, our spiritual practices, our sacred spaces, the relationships worthy of our authenticity and love. God of spring's warm sunlight, kindle a nourishing power within us, a power with, not over, a power to reveal and to co-create. And God of spring flowers, bring our attention again and again to pleasure, to beauty, that we too may thrive and bloom and make our lives a blessing upon others. Amen. Love be with you. As we continue in this vein of songs about how capitalism drives our life, we felt like we had to include this song by the beloved Dolly Parton, who is not only a phenomenal singer, an amazing songwriter, but just one of the best human beings I know of. And this is one of her more iconic songs, Nine to Five.
you. I'll try not to read this really fast now. This is the Manifest of the Mad Farmer Liberation Front by Wendell Berry. Friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord, love the world, work for nothing, take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Denounce the government and embrace the flag. Hope to live in that free republic for which it stands. Give your approval to all you cannot understand. Praise ignorance. For what man has not encountered, he has not destroyed. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into mold. Call that profit. Prophecy such returns. Put your faith in the two inches of humus that will build under the trees every thousand years. Listen to carrion. Put your ear close and hear the faint chattering of the songs that are to come. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. Go with your love to the fields. Lie down in the shade. Rest your head in their lap. Swear allegiance to what is nighest your thoughts. As soon as the generals and the politicos can predict the motions of your mind, lose it. Leave it as a sign to mark the false trail, the way you didn't go. Be like the fox who makes more tracks than necessary, some in the wrong direction. A few weeks ago, I had a, an echocardiogram done. For folks who haven't done this before, the process is basically a sonogram of, the, of your heart, like a person who is pregnant gets a sonogram of the fetus as it develops in the womb. So I was there, flat on my back, while the tech put goo all over my chest and began to track the wand over my skin, getting different angles on the organ that pumps my blood it's a kindness, I think, that they set the monitor where you can watch it if you want to. There in black and white, I had a live view of my heart and my chest, doing the work of keeping me alive from moment to moment. And I did not expect this, but I was deeply moved. I could see the whole thing squeezing and jumping, the valves, the valves flapping open and shut. My heart looked like it was dancing doing some kind of mambo to music it could, that only it could hear. And it did it all without pause, because to pause is to die. I looked inside myself and saw what kept me alive. I could see how vulnerable it was. What a flimsy little ball of flesh. It 
it's so easy to take for granted. In that moment, I regretted every stupid cigarette I ever smoked. I regretted how feckless I'd been about caring for my heart. And I was humbled. But I was also in awe. What a little miracle to be alive and to keep being alive thanks to my heart. An everyday miracle, but a miracle nonetheless. I'm held here in this mortal plane, in this life, by this simple, fragile thing. By the way, the test showed that my heart was healthy. Good news, that's cool. <laughs> but I think like everyone here, I've had a lot of reasons lately to consider my mortality. My dad died in 2021, making me an orphan. In fact, the, the viewing before his funeral was on the eve of my 59th birthday, which of course is the eve of 60, and now I'm here at 60. And I wandered through that funeral home for hours as my dad's friends came through, his body over there, my body over here, knowing that this train only runs in one direction. And of course, we all endured a pandemic. How do we use the time that we have as well as we can? I read a great book recently. It's called 4,000 Weeks. It's by a person named Oliver Workman. And Oliver Workman was a person who was obsessed with using his time as well as he could. He was a productivity expert. He wrote a weekly column about it. And he studied all the systems that were being created to wring every bit of production out of every day. And he bought expensive journals, you know, those $100 journals, and planned and schemed and worked all kinds of systems. And then one day he realized that despite all his efforts, he was not doing the things he wanted to with his life. More to the point, he was frustrated and anxious and exhausted, and he didn't like his life. He realized that he was shoveling against the tide. Take for, the, take for example the idea of inbox zero. That's where you handle your email in such a way that you end every day with no emails in your inbox. So you've either answered them, people are laughing because it's so ridiculous, right? <laughs> you've either answered them or filed them or deleted them. So Oliver noticed that despite doing inbox zero, in fact, because he practiced inbox zero, he was getting more emails than ever. He called it Sisyphus's inbox after the mortal cursed by the gods to eternally roll a boulder up a hill only to have it roll back down again. It's just one of the ways that we find ourselves going through our lives with the sense that we're not really living our lives even as we're in them. How is it that we find ourselves doing things that we know are not truly important, really not important at all, when we consider, as Mary Oliver asks us, what we should do with our one wild and precious life. Well, one good reason we live this way is capitalism. And I don't have time in this talk to cover all the ways that late stage capitalism, which is the moment we're in, how late stage capitalism has made every problem, virtually, virtually every problem we face worse, if not actually outright creating those problems. But as far as living our lives well, we are all trapped in this system that reduces us to consumers and producers, consumers and producers, 
This system judges, how, judges our worth by how well we consume and most of all produce. And we cannot help but absorb those messages. They are ubiquitous, they are everywhere. Think about how some states have work requirements for receiving public aid. So if you're poor, which is usually the result of circumstances far beyond your control, some states and certain federal programs will require that a person works in order to get their $281 a month in food stamps so they can eat. The message is not subtle. Only working makes you worthy and deserving of having food. That is not a universalist message. And speaking of religion, there's a religious component here too. You've probably heard of Puritan or Protestant worth ethics, and those folks are our ancestors. It's the idea that diligence and discipline and frugality are a sign of grace. Diligence, discipline, and frugality are the signs of grace. And this is a change from the idea that it is good works that are a sign of grace. Consider that difference. Good works are a sign of grace. Anyway, as much as I hate capitalism, it would be simplistic to blame all our angst on, about using time well only on our stinking economic system. It's more than that. We all know that we're mortal and that our time alive is limited. It's one of the fundamental conditions of living, right? There, there are two constants that we all share. First, as far as we know, we didn't ask to be here. We didn't ask to live. And second, now that we're here, most of us would prefer not to leave. <laughs> Quandary, you know, to give that a theological analysis, ain't that a kick in the pants. <laughs> and I don't want to be glib. There are people in this congregation, no doubt in this room, who are facing their mortality in very immediate ways or who are grieving the mortality of loved ones. Just yesterday I stood in this pulpit for the memorial celebration of life for John Ellig with a room full of people, room full of people who will feel his absence. Mortality is present. We all face this question, but with different levels of urgency. It's been said that what we pay attention to is what makes up our lives. What we pay attention to is what makes up our lives. And yet we are constantly distracted by the number of options that we have, the number of things that we could possibly do. And compounding that is that there are a lot of very smart people with a lot of resources who are working very hard to capture our attention. When our attention is being commandeered by the digital onslaught, how are we to decide how to spend our lives? Back to 4,000 weeks. So the author found that all his attempts to pack in his days with productivity were not helping him find a better life. And he realized that all the productivity systems had one deep flaw in common. They didn't acknowledge the fundamental truth that we are all profoundly limited in what we can do with our lives. So there's the absolute limit of time, 24 hours in a day, 4,000 weeks in a life, give or take. 
Add to that that every choice we've made up to now, to this moment, has created limits. I never even played Little League Baseball. It's unlikely that I will become a pitcher for the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> you know, and after a stint as a chaplain, I chose parish ministry, and I'm not looking back. Limited by my choices. A door closed when I made those choices. And our social locations create limits. Folks with historically targeted identities, like queer folks or people of color, are less likely to be welcomed into certain fields. Where one is born and how much money one's parents have can sharply limit or affect our choices. And you know what? If we had unlimited time, unlimited choices, none of our decisions would matter. Eternal life in heaven might get really boring. We just never had to make a hard choice. And so we are offered an alternative to the treadmill of constant personal progress. And treadmill is the right word. We can accept the limits that we have to what we can accomplish. Not just some limits, but a profound amount of limits. And holy cow, what a liberation. How freeing to set down the burdens of ambition and competition and status to just be. In fact, the key to being in our lives is not to attempt to master all of our time, that's ridiculous and impossible, but to do the opposite. To give up attempts to control our time and instead dive into the unknown. Berkman asks us to accept the fact that our days, sorry to report, are not progressing towards a future state of perfection. There's no perfect happiness ahead of us. There's no perfection. And to approach our lives that way drains our 4,000 weeks of their value. Now he goes on to say that once we truly understand that we're guaranteed to miss out on almost every experience the world has to offer, including some really, really cool ones, we're going to miss out. The fact that there are so many we still haven't experienced stops feeling like a problem. Instead, we get to focus on fully enjoying the tiny slice of experiences that we actually do have time for. Change our focus. Now, you've probably heard of FOMO, stands for fear of missing out. There's a common, that's a common occurrence when we look at someone's social media feed and they present ridiculous fictions about how great their life is all the time. I don't really trust those people. I hope they develop enough sense of security that they can acknowledge the ugly things that are always a part of life too. Anyways, instead of FOMO, I recommend JOMO, joy of missing out. <laughs> this is gonna sound funny, but I really felt like I had achieved that. I had arrived there at JOMO when I went to Costco at seven o'clock on a Thursday night. <laughs> I'm living. <laughs> and I, you know, I was not at a fabulous art gallery. I was not at a fancy cocktail bar. I was just wandering the aisles, mostly alone, hunting Brussels sprouts, serene and unbothered. Jomo, I tell you. <laughs> now, just as an aside, it is purely a coincidence that I'm speaking on the tyranny of busyness as I come up on my sabbatical in June. Completely unrelated. <laughs> but for folks who haven't heard, I'll be taking a sabbatical from mid-June to mid-October 
It's hard to believe I've been here four years already. And yeah, I, I love, love, love this job. And I am so ready for a deep rest. Anyway, back to our beautiful limited lives. There are many ways to deal with our limited lives, but I want to talk about an approach by a researcher who I really admire, whose name is Martha Beck. Martha Beck. And before I do that, Catherine has some questions to ask you. All right, I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and for each question, I'd like you to think of one of these four answers. Often, sometimes, rarely, never. Okay? First question. I laugh out loud. Often, sometimes, rarely, never. I still do things I loved as a kid. I feel perfectly safe. I'm flooded with love for other people. I feel intense physical pleasure. I do what I want, even if it's scary. I have really cool ideas. Now consider in a general way how many times you answered the question with often. How many times? Do you answer often? Back to you, Bob. Thank you, Catherine. Martha Beck is a researcher and life coach, and she proposes that we have several selves in our heads. These selves are always speaking to us, but some are speaking more loudly than others. Two of the most prominent voices are the social self and the essential self. Now the social self is the voice that keeps us aligned with social mores. It tells us how to be safe in every situation. The social self developed in response to pressures from people around us, from our families, to our churches, to our schools, to our whatever we watch on television. The social self values conforming, being predictable, making thorough plans, working really hard. And sometimes the social self will be based on principles that are the opposite of what our core desires are. Now the essential self is the personality we got from our genes. That personality would be the same whether we were raised in France or Peru or Saudi Arabia. It would be the same whether we were raised as beggars or billionaires. You might call it our inner child. So we have this odd couple living in our head, the highly structured social self and the spontaneous and playful essential self. Now consider the answers 
to the questions that Catherine just asked you. Every question that you did not answer as often is an area where you could benefit from aligning yourself with the more essential self voice and less with the social self voice. For example, if you answered the statement, I'm flooded with love for other people with anything other than often, perhaps listening for your essential self voice might help. And don't beat yourself up if the social self voice is dominating. That's actually perfectly normal for all the reasons that I talked about earlier. The social self is overdeveloped in our culture and the essential self is suppressed. How do we undo that? How do we get our social self to sit down? We need to cultivate our essential selves. It's our essential selves that tell us where we should be. And we do that by challenging ourselves to do things that make our social self uncomfortable. We need to give ourselves permission to explore things that seem dangerous. Perhaps new sides to our identity, perhaps new interests, new friends, new routines. Helps to consider questions like, what would I do if I didn't care what people thought? Or what would I do if it didn't matter what I did? If these ideas of essential and social self are intriguing to you, I strongly suggest that you read Martha Beck's excellent book, Finding Your Own North Star. Finding Your Own North Star. It's been really helpful to me and a lot of other folks. The more we listen to the essential self, the more that we will live lives that are real and meaningful to us, not some externally imposed idea of success. Here we are, living our wild and precious life, making difficult choices about what to do with ourselves, not just once, but a thousand times a day. And because of how overwhelming that all is, I'm grateful that I live in covenant with this congregation, that we are in covenant, that we are on this journey together, that no one need do this alone. Thank you, I say sincerely, thank you for the gift of living our lives, our short, limited lives together. Amen and blessed be. In the words of New Zealand poet Nadine Ann Hur, it's time. Time to return, time to remember, time to think about others, remove our shoes, press hands to soil, sift grains between fingers, gentle palms, time to plant, time to wait, time to notice to whom we belong. Our change for the future partners, Seed to Need, 
knows when it is time to plant. Seed to Need is committed to growing fresh fruits and vegetables for donation to local food pantries, 725,000 pounds since they began in 2008. You can donate to Seed to Need by planting your loose change in the collection box or by using the envelope on the back of the chair. Just write CFF on it. Your generosity sustains this community and all the bodies in it. We will now gratefully receive the offering. The secret of life is enjoying the passage of time. Any Some kind 
so much. Thank you, ushers. Thank you, congregation. On behalf of First Unitarian and on behalf of Seed to Need, your generosity makes a big difference. May it nurture many good programs and much actual nourishing food. We have some invitations to share with you. Calling all cooks. You're invited to make a difference. Our next Family Promise Week is coming up quick, April 23rd to 30th. Our church has been a long time participant in Family Promise, which is an Albuquerque shelter that with wraparound services for families experiencing homelessness. Four times a year, members of our church provide meals for the guests there. If you're willing to prepare a meal, please see Peggy and Jenny at the Family Promise table in the courtyard after the service, and you can sign up for your slot. It's such a good program. One of the things that sets Family Promise apart is it provides shelter for entire families so the children don't have to be separated from one parent or the other. If there are two parents, they can be together um, finding shelter, and the program really sees them through all the way to permanent housing. So it's just a really effective, good program. Great place to volunteer. You are also invited to a workshop that is hosted by our Leadership Succession Committee. This is a workshop that will be taught by Nancy Bowen. Nancy, are you in here right now? No. But I can vouch for Nancy very much. I have worked with her a lot. She's so cool. She's so fun. Totally recommend. Uh, Nancy's going to help participants discover their learning style and their preferences when it comes to plugging in here at First Unitarian. Everybody has something to offer. So this is a good chance to come and figure out how you can fit in and to make some new friends in the process. That workshop is going to happen on Saturday, May 6th. Um, it has childcare offered if you need childcare. And for more information, you can visit that table in the social hall after the services. So there's two tables today where you can get some information, one for Family Promise in the courtyard and one for this workshop in the social hall. Also, our COVID task force and the church board are re-examining our COVID protocols, and they want to hear from you about masking in these Sunday services. There's a survey link in your order of service, and we hope you'll take a few moments to fill that out sometime between now and this Friday, by Friday. We've heard from about a little over 100 people so far filled out that survey, and we would love to hear from even more. All right, we love new visitors. Is there anybody here for the first or second time who feels comfortable identifying themselves by raising their hand? We'd love to welcome you with applause. If so, there's somebody. <laughs> Glad you're here. We hope you'll stay for coffee hour. Everyone is invited to stay for coffee hour down the hall in the social hall after the service. There are chat tables there if you want to hang out and visit with others in a little bit more organized way. If roaming around and mingling makes you anxious, relatable, try a chat table. Um, and if you are uh, in conversation, either there or elsewhere, you might like a conversation prompt. So here's one. Um, what helps you get to your essential self? What helps you get to your essential self? I invite everyone now to rise in body or spirit. Let's greet each other with our peace gesture. We like to put one hand over our hearts and just extend the other one toward our fellow UUs and guests. Peace to all. Peace.
What a day for a daydream. What a day for a daydreaming boy. Now I'm lost in a daydream. Dreaming about my bundle of joy. And even if time ain't really on my side, it's one of those days for tugging a walk outside. I'm blowing the day to take a walk in the sun. Fall on my face in somebody's new mode long. I've been having a sweet dream. I've been dreaming since I woke up today. Starring me and my sweet dream. Cause she's the one that makes me feel this way. Time is passing me by a lot. I couldn't care less about the dues you say I've got. Tomorrow I'll pay the dues for dropping my load. Fall on my face in somebody's new mode. Let's be grateful, let's be grateful for the limited lives that we have. Go in peace and practice radical love. Mm -hmm. 